back to this second part of the first episode of Square Mile of Murder. Uh, in the first part, we covered uh, the murder of Rachel Nickel and Operation Edzel. In this second part, we're going to be covering uh, the murders of Samantha and Jasmine Bissett, the sort of life and crimes of Robert Knapper, and the Green Chain Rapes. So there's a lot of content in these two parts of this episode, but uh, we hope you enjoy. So Robert Knapper, great last name. That's that's basically my middle name. It's not, but <laughs> should be. Um, Knapp's a lot. Yeah. Robert Knapper was born on 25th of February in 1966. Oh, no. In... Aerith? Yeah, I don't know. Southeast London. Southeast London. <laughs> uh, and grew up in nearby Plumstead. He was the eldest child of Brian and Pauline Knapper. By all accounts, his childhood was troubled and dysfunctional. His parents' marriage had been volatile, and Knapper frequently witnessed violent attacks on his mother at the hands of his father. His parents divorced when he was nine, and he and his two brothers and sister were placed into foster care and all underwent psychiatric treatment. For Robert, this psychiatric treatment lasted for six years at the Maudsley Hospital, which is an NHS psychiatric hospital in Camberwell, South London. Uh, at the age of 12, Napper was sexually assaulted by a family friend and underwent a massive personality change, according to his mother. Um, he became reclusive and introverted, which is not super surprising following no. a sexual assault. I mean, that's, that's quite a common reaction, I yeah. would say. Um, but he also became more violent and bullied his younger siblings and spied on his sister when she was naked. Not so common. Not so great. And uh, there's actually suggestions in one of the documentaries. I think it was Crimes That Shook Britain. Um, that Napa was abused at a young age, before the age of 10, by someone close to him. But that is unconfirmed. The The later assault at the age of 12, that is that has been confirmed. confirmed. But, yeah, the, um, the, the one... Before the age of 10 has never, I, well, it maybe has. I couldn't find mm -hmm. it uh, substantiated anywhere else. Well, and it wouldn't so. be super surprising given no. like the state of the rest of his childhood either. Yeah. He was also diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and Asperger's syndrome, which we're not saying, we're not mentioning these things to demonize either condition. Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, but it does add to the isolation that he likely felt having been the child of this sort of volatile marriage um having been in foster care and then you know having been assaulted on top of all that yeah it's not you know we're not at all saying that asperger's syndrome or uh, schizophrenia are the things that made him into a criminal into a well you'll say real bad guy yeah in um it's just that all these things added together led him to be this very isolated individual yeah. who just was very well very antisocial very isolated and it's it's just all factors that that add in but obviously not at all the defining factors 
Yeah. Sort of but, like a perfect storm of yeah. everything coming together. And, uh, well, Napa started early. He came to, first came to police attention in 1986. Oh, he's 20. So, Napa first came to police attention in 1986. And he was only 20 years old when he was found to be in possession of an air gun. And I think the 80s, we did have less, let's say more lax gun laws than we have now here. Because mm-hmm. um, this is pre-Dunblane uh, tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they still, I believe, had to be registered and everything like that. So, um, yeah, possession of an air gun and he was given a conditional discharge and apparently showed no signs of any kind of psychological problems or you know that he would go on to you know murder and sexually assault women so he showed no signs of what was to come really uh, but just three years later in october of 1989 napper confessed to his mother pauline uh, that he had raped a woman in the plot Plumstead Common area of South London. And so at this point, he's only 23. Jesus. Yeah. So he's confessed to his mother, and his mother did the right thing that we'd all love to say we'd be able to do, but how many of us would? And she shopped him to the police. She. Put on your mom. Yeah. She. As soon as he left, she called the local police which was i believe was in plumstead and reported her son and it's at this point that his mother decides to cut off all contact so we've got social isolation and we've now got no like familial contact either Mm -hmm. so yeah the police however didn't take his confession as seriously as his mother did and they say they couldn't find any trace of a rape on the common at the time that um, he said the time and date he'd given his mum. Of course. So they took the matter no further. So firstly, they just assumed that that this would have been reported, which we know is absolutely not the case when it comes to sexual assault. Yeah. Um, it is vastly underreported. And then... They decide just not to investigate further. They don't even interview him. Which is, like, bizarre. Yeah. Because, let's say, if if this crime hadn't been reported and he's confessed, they're like, ah, so we don't have a crime to match it to. Maybe we should talk to him and see if it's for real. Yeah. So, and DNA is still in his infancy at this time, but uh, blood testing was quite common. Mm-hmm. No blood tests, no nothing. Wouldn't need that. Yeah. This is 1989. This is three years, almost, before Rachel's murder. Mm-hmm. Three years, they were handed the chance to get him off the street. And they just went, nah. Because it turns out, eight weeks before Napa's confession to his mother, a 30-year-old mother, and um, we'll call her Woman A, because uh, sexual assault victims under british law have automatic anonymity 
and we're not the press, but we obviously want to. Yeah, want to respect that. Yeah, we're not not going to go and search for a name because why would we do that? Yeah. Um. So, woman A had reported to the police that she'd been raped in her home in front of her children. The intruder had entered the house through the rear door and with a Stanley knife, which to our American friends is a box cutter. Ah, yes. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a brand. Yeah. Or I um, might call it like a utility knife. But yeah, no one actually says box cutter here. It's always... Really? Yeah, it's just a Stanley knife, even though Stanley is a brand. It's the ones with the like that metal push, casing. Yeah, you push the blade out. Yeah. 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 Yeah, box cutter. Yeah. Um, and he was wearing a mask. So, woman A's house backed on to Plumstead Common. Oh. So they didn't very they didn't really look very hard. There's sort of no outside the box thinking like, oh, it didn't take place on the common, so it didn't happen. Of course. So, you know, they could have looked outside the box and still been pushed right up outside the edges of the box and found this. Jesus. I just And it sounds like we're really hating on police and we are a bit, but we uh they have a history of letting people down well, badly. And this is just, it's sort of like, how, how much, you know, horror could have been avoided if, you know, they just expanded their search mm. circle a little yeah. bit farther or, you know, talk, yeah. talk to people. and that, That's the thing. It was just. Yeah, it wouldn't have taken a lot of work to find him at this point. Yeah. You know, I say it was... I mean, he came to them. Yeah. Literally, he showed up at their door and they were like, nah, man, go home. Yeah. See you never. Yeah. His mum handed him to the police on a silver platter. Yeah. And, yeah. And so this is... They say this is 1989. Rachel was murdered in 1992. There are other victims after that, but we'll get to. Mm-hmm. And it's not until 2006 that they f- finally figure out it was him who murdered Rachel. He is caught for other crimes, but... They don't put that together. Yeah. It... <sighs> yeah. She's going to shake my head. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and as I said, this crime had been reported. Um, and the police had responded, and uh, the report of the rape did manage to recover DNA and blood samples. Mm. So, if the police had bothered to interview Napa and take a blood sample, maybe even take a DNA sample, depending. I don't really know how much they could do in 1989, but... Mm. Um, but yeah. They could have taken a blood sample and they would have found it was him. Jesus. Yeah. And this attack on woman eight was the first in what would come to be known as the Green Chain Rapes, which was a series of 70, seven, zero rapes carried out between 1989 and 1994. Fucking hell. Oh, yes. So... The Green Chain Walk 
is a series of linked green woodland walkways and parklands throughout southern London. And from 1989 to 1994, there were 70 reported rapes carried out along these walkways yeah and that's just the reported ones yeah exactly i'm gonna assume there are more plenty more that weren't reported yeah exactly um but in the spring and summer of 1992 in the months leading up to rachel's murder there was an increase in attacks along the green chain walk with three women being sexually assaulted in a two-month period and two of them were 17 year old girls Following these three attacks, a major inquiry was set up and they identified 106 crimes involving 86 women. And in the middle of this inquiry uh, was when Rachel McKell was murdered. They had the chance to get him off the streets, to lock him away where he belongs after the first one. Yeah. But no. No. Let's just add on another cool 105. So detectives investigating the green chain rapes contacted the team working on Rachel's murder uh, and the team investigating the rapes were convinced that they were looking for the same guy. The police identified a number of similarities between Rachel's attack and the green chain victims. They were mostly young mothers who had smaller young children with them and were attacked in broad daylight in very public places. And it's an almost natural progression for a violent, sadistic serial rapist to move on to murder when uh, the act of sexual assault no longer satisfies them. Yeah, natural sort of quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. But would you see that a lot? Yeah, you do. That, that we said uh, when we're talking about the profile at the beginning, we see this progression and it's, it, it ramped up in those in those months uh preceding rachel's murder yeah which is probably why they became yeah. more frequent as well because it yeah. wasn't yeah it wasn't enough and needed he needed to escalate yeah and it's like it's like serial killers eventually the the period between murders gets smaller, smaller. yeah and so yeah let's say hindsight is 2020 but still you know we're we're armchair detectives we're not law enforcement and we can pick these things out yeah yeah, so, like, a great attempt by one team of investigators being like, hey, guys, let's work together. Uh, but the team investigating Rachel's murder dismissed the similarities and were adamant that it was not the same man because, of course, they thought they already had their guy. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah, by by the time the two investigations had, like, come together or made contact um they already had their eyes on colin stag of course i don't even know if uh operation Edsel had started by this point mm-hmm. um but yeah they were they were determined they had their man so they were like no we're good we don't need your help mm. uh and uh, so on their own uh, the Green Chain detectives released a photo fit of the Green Chain rapist, and numerous people contacted them, identifying the man as Robert Knapper. And, you know, he was also, as we remember, identified from the photo fit shown on Crimes, Crime Watch following mm-hmm. Rachel's murder. So, two photo fits, two violent crimes, or more than two, but multiple violent crimes in South London, and... He's been identified by a bunch of people, 
including his own, own mother, his own dear sainted mother. And still he's walking around. That photo fit for the green chain rapist mm-hmm. kind of looks like an alien. Oh, good. It's, it's, it's a very strange face shape. It's like a very narrow chin uh-huh. and like wide at the temples. Very strange. Yeah. But anyway. But still, people are like, oh yeah. Yep. That's, they got the right man. That's Bobby Napper. <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone ever called him that. That's creepy. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just like, giving serial killers a pet name is creepy. Okay. We'll try to avoid that. But no promises. Okay. Um. So, they do end up contacting him in uh you know regards to the green chain rapes and they ask him to come in and give a dna sample twice and he doesn't show up twice yo please come in and give a dna sample tumbleweeds yeah come in and give a dna sample tumbleweeds okay never mind bye Sorry, we troubled you. They just give up and seem to forget that he even exists. Um, you know, even though they've had multiple people identifying him. Yeah. Like, I just don't get that. I don't. It's... No. We do come up... We do eventually find some really good police officers in this case. We promise. We're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so some sources actually say that he was dismissed as a suspect because he was six foot two. Well, this goes back to what we were saying before about how can you accurately identify the height and weight of a person. And okay, these are, you know, victims who, and survivors who, yeah, they've been in very, obviously very close proximity, um, you know, been in physical contact with him. But still, could you, going through that, such a traumatic experience could you accurately i mean some people will be able to accurately describe him and some people wouldn't so but is especially something like height like yeah i think personally it depends on how tall you are because mm-hmm. it gives you a different perspective of like yeah well because i i have a lot of trouble identifying heights in people taller than me because yeah. i'm not tall <laughs> i'm only five four so like if someone is six feet tall or you know five foot ten i can't really tell the difference yeah i get what you mean i just know that they're, they're tall. taller yeah. yeah oh i totally know what you mean so like i feel like if someone was like oh well was the guy that you saw six two or you know six foot nothing i'd be like mm. what's the difference? i don't know <laughs> I have to get out a ruler yeah. and work out just exactly how much two inches is. But also, like, you know, two inches could be a matter of a different hairstyle on a different day. True. Yeah. Or a hat. Yeah. Headphones. Yep. Headphones and a hat. And a hat. Yep. So, yeah, but the sus- suspect they were tracing uh, was described as 5'10 to 6 foot. So it's not like he's a... F- it's not like... Yeah. It's not, super it's not like off. he was like... It, they were looking for someone who was five foot two and he was six foot two. <laughs> but there were also, uh, I mean, there were conflicting reports. Uh, and Napa also walked with, uh, like a, walked with uh, like a stoop. 
So he did actually appear short at Then He Was. So. And if they'd brought him in, they, they might have known. noticed. So not only that, but in October of 1992, Napper was on the police radar again. This time he was suspected of stalking a civilian member of police staff in the Plumstead area. And for this incident, police searched his flat and found the following. 22 millimeter pistol. 244 rounds of ammunition, two knives, mm-hmm. a crossbow, oh, and six crossbow bolts. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I've just got all that just in a box under my bed. Doesn't everyone? Obviously. Fucking crossbow. I, I, that is... I don't know. There's something very sinister about someone who has a crossbow. I don't know if that's because of, like, there was a killer called the crossbow killer in mm-hmm. South Yorkshire mm-hmm. a few years ago, and that's when I still lived back in Yorkshire. Um... I don't know if it's because of that or what, but there's something about owning... If someone owns a crossbow, I'm like, nope. Well, it's just... It just seems like a lot. You know, mm. it's... Unless you're like a sport hunter, you don't need a fucking crossbow, especially in South London. Yeah. I mean, unless they're hunting deer on the commons. Is that allowed? I don't know. I guess... I hope not. The police, having found all these fun goodies in his flat, mm-hmm. um, Napper ple- pleaded guilty to possessing a firearm and ammunition. Uh, in court, references were made to his disturbed mental state, and a psychiatric report was produced saying he was, quote, without a doubt, an immediate threat to himself and the public. So once again, they have a chance to get him off the streets. But no. But alas... He received only an eight-week custodial sentence. Wow. Why? 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 Eight weeks? That is... Nah. Nah, that is mild. That is not spicy. (laughs) (laughs) So, along with all those aforementioned items, Mm. there were other things found in his flat that day. Oh, do tell. Uh multiple pocket diaries stretching back a number of years, uh, hand-drawn maps of areas in South London, newspaper clippings of the green chain rapes, and Rachel Nickel's murder. Now, why would someone have things like that? Unless they committed the crime. Maybe a bit of trophy. Maybe. Stuff. And, you know, on these newspaper clippings... There were handwritten notes around the borders, and they also found a London A to Z. So A to Z is basically a map or a little book that's a map of other streets in a city. Yeah. So they're not quite so common now with like sat navs and GPS and everything, but they you used to see them in like uh, service stations and everything. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's we- like a, it's a very detailed. Like, street atlas, yeah, basically. So the diaries and the A to Z both had notes and references to women who had been attacked and or raped. And these dates and locations matched up to the details of the green chain rapes. So he literally kept a diary and a map of his crimes. But still, it's fine. I just... I'm just going to roll my eyes a few times and 
Yeah. Keep talking, please. Yeah. Um, he had also, uh, also had a collection of business cards for women placed in the page of the A to Z that corresponded to their addresses. He was stalking these women. These were his intended victims. Yeah. And the police did nothing. Yeah. Like it's that he's literally handed to them. All the evidence is literally handed right to there. them. And they still don't make this connection. Yeah. It just seems outrageous. Uh. Um, yeah. So, you know, they find all this stuff, but they're like, it's fine. We don't need to look into that further. Yeah. Of course. Whatever. Uh, and in April 1993, a tin box was found on Winds Common in South London. And inside it was a handgun with fingerprints on it. And can we guess whose fingerprints those may have been? Let me guess. Was it Robert Napper? Why, yes, it was. Oh, my God. How did I guess other than I wrote the script? (laughs) Points for everyone who got it right. Yeah. But no points for the police. No. So it was Napper's fingerprints, but somehow he wasn't even questioned by the police for this like what the fuck um he was also arrested for impersonating a police officer in the early 90s after trying to have counterfeit police headed stationery copied at a local copy shop like that's bold and also weird stupid yeah like and <laughs> just a choice all around. So a few months later in July, his name was reported to police by concerned neighbor- neighbors after he was seen spying on a neighbor. And this time he was spoken to by the police and their notes read, subject strange, abnormal, should be considered as a possible rapist, indecency type suspect. Hmm. I'm sorry, your notes in this guy's file says... Should be considered a possible rapist, but we haven't put two and two together yet. I, it's it's willful ignorance at this point. It's got to be. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, despite the fact that they've come to this conclusion and in, in their investigation of him, uh, he still isn't linked to the green chain rapes or Rachel's murder, and. This is just about a month before Colin Stagg was arrested and remanded into custody. And then the inquiry seems to have just wound down. They were convinced that the green chain rapist was the same person as Rachel's murderer. And Colin Stagg had been arrested for Rachel's murder. So logic dictates, you know, yeah, we're done. I mean, you can, un- like, when you say it like that, Okay, so the Green Chain Rapist then went on to kill Rachel Nickel, which is true, he did. It just wasn't Colin Stagg. Yeah. But when you do, when you look at it like that, okay, they're the same person and we've got Colin Stagg for Rachel's murder, so ergo, we've got the Green Chain Rapist as well. But there's so much evidence. I mean, okay, circumstantial evidence is evidence, but all they've got to link Colin Stagg is some circum- circumstantial evidence that he walked his dog 
on Wimbledon Common, he lived close by, he matched up a forensic profiler. Yeah. Oh, he matched up what the forensic profiler said. And that's all they've got. There is nothing else. Whereas for this other guy, they've got fingerprints, they've got confessions, they've, they've got, got weapons. They've like... got DNA, they've got blood, they've got they've got a fucking A to Z with his crimes in and his next intended victims. It just makes me angry because so many people became victims of this guy. Yeah. And there were so many chances to stop him. It just seems like balls were dropped. I don't think they were picked up to start with. To, yeah. Never mind dropped. (laughs) (laughs) So, we'll uh, move forward a year. And in November of 1993, so almost 16 months after Rachel's murder, 27-year-old Samantha Bissett and her four-year-old daughter Jasmine became Napa's next victims. Samantha and Jasmine lived in Plumstead with Samantha's partner, Conrad Ellum. Uh, But at the time of the murder... Conrad was actually staying with his father in the nearby area of Sidcup uh, and calling in to see Samantha and Jasmine on a morning before he went to work. Um, And one thing to note is there were no curtains in the flat and Samantha often walked around naked or only in her underwear. And in October of 1993, so the month before, she thought she'd seen a peeping Tom looking through the living room windows. And it was after that she became a lot more cautious. And we're not saying this to victim shame in any way. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to walk around naked in your flat, go for it. But yeah, so she did sort of become a lot more a lot more aware that there could be somebody sort of lurking around outside. Um, and this man, of course, was Robert Napper. Where have we heard that name before? Are we surprised? No. Yeah. Pick me up off the floor, I am <laughs> shocked. So, and it's also believed that, because there's no curtains in the flat, uh, in the months leading up to the murders, he regularly watched Samantha and Conrad through the windows when they were having sex. Of course. So, yeah, we've got these, like, well, stalking her, basically, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, so we've got him pretty much stalking her. And then on... The morning of the 3rd of November, 1993, Napa knocked on Samantha's door. And remember, Conrad was not staying at the flat at that time. He was staying with his father. And basically, as soon as she opened the door, he attacked. Jesus. Yeah, there was no no pretense, no lid up. It was just straight to it. And he had a seven-inch knife. And he struck Samantha with such force with that first blow. Just one strike of that knife almost severed her spinal cord. Jeez. That is the force. That is the... That's... That's that's premeditated. That's hatred. That's rage. That's anger. That... Yeah. And he then stabbed her a further 70 times. So, so much overkill. Yeah, so that's even more frenzied than Rachel's attack. I think yeah. it was 49. Yeah. Was... Um, but again, there's a focus on the neck. Because uh. he stabbed uh, Rachel in the neck from behind. Mm-hmm. And then he just left her to bleed out on the living room floor. And went upstairs where Jasmine was asleep in her bed. Oh. 
God. He he then raped this four-year-old girl. Mm. A four-year-old. And suffocate, then suffocated her. And placed her back in her bed as though she was asleep. That's just sick. So he's now moved on from, from assaulting young mothers to assaulting their children as well. Yeah. And, and he's now attacking people in their own homes. Yeah. So he's got Which, more privacy. Yeah. It's a lot less of a risk yeah. than on the commons. Um which is possibly a reason for it being more frenzied. Yeah. And that he has time and yeah. he has let's say he has more privacy. And and he still wasn't done. So he puts a little jasmine back in her bed. And then he goes back downstairs. He Samantha by this time is has died, she's bled out. And he poses her body, like props her up against the sofa mm-hmm. and cuts her torso open. And takes a part of her womb as a trophy. Fucking hell. This is like Jack the Ripper shit. Yeah. They had so many chances to get him off the streets, mm-hmm. to get him locked away before he killed anyone. Yeah, this didn't, yeah. This did they not had, have to happen. No, they had that chance after that first woman. Yeah. Uh, the rape of that first woman uh, next to Plumstead Common. They had that chance. They had that chance when his mother dropped him in. They had that chance, admittedly, after Rachel was killed, but when they found the A to Z. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing. That's the worst thing for me about this. Other than how many lives were ruined was there were so many opportunities to stop him. Yeah. But it is at this point where we actually find some some police officers who knew what they were doing. <gasps> Shocking. <laughs> um so Detective Detective Superintendent Mickey Banks uh was in charge of the inquiry into Samantha and Jasmine's deaths. And he said it was the worst and most gruesome crime scene he had ever seen or would then go on to see in his 32 years of working in the Metropolitan Police. Mm. And the uh, police photographer at the scene ended up taking two years off work on the sick. They were that traumatised, that affected by it. I don't blame them. Yeah. Dear God. Um, Um, Yeah, so... You've now got three separate police teams across South London who are looking into all these various crimes committed by the one guy. Mm-hmm. You've got the green chain rapes, the murder of Rachel McKell, and now the murders of Samantha and Jasmine Bissett. Yeah. And not just that, you also have one psychologist working across all three. Paul Britton. Good buddy. Yeah. And um, he, according to all three of the investigation teams, according to all three... Uh, um, oh, what the hell's the word? 
senior investigating officer. That's what I couldn't think of. So according to the uh, the SIO on every inquiry, Paul Burton had told them it's a different person. Of course. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the Rachel Nickel team were clearly relying far too much on what he had to say. Mm-hmm. And there's just this lack of basic policing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, which does happen, you know, especially when it is like a newfangled thing, which is what uh, criminal profiling was yeah. in like late 80s, early 90s. It was still a new thing. It wasn't used a lot. It's like as DNA becomes more popular and they start to rely on just that. Yeah. Like I said, circumstantial evidence is evidence. You've then got your forensic evidence in DNA and stuff. You need the two. Yeah, and also like in in the case of Rachel Nacal, like there was so little evidence. And then here's this guy who's like, listen, I got all the answers. Yeah. I can tell you exactly yeah. what kind of person did this, mm-hmm. if not like the person. So uh, yeah, that's, you know, very enticing to be able to say like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's yeah. right. I mean, the, uh, Rachel Nacal's murder was very high profile at the time. Because she was this beautiful blonde model, former model, young mum, perfect family. I mean, you see the three of them together, absolutely beautiful family. Yeah. And so that it was so high profile. And Samantha and Jasmine's deaths were much less, um, were much low. Like they weren't as less widely reported. Yeah, that's the word. They weren't as highly publicized as Rachel's. Um, and I suppose part of that, you know, they were. Uh, they they took place in the home. It wasn't like, oh my God, don't go out. Don't take your kids to the park. It's not safe. So you can see it from both sides um, as to why it wasn't as widely publicized. But um, yeah, the Nickel team were under immense pressure. Yeah. And, but that still does not excuse what they did. No. By any means. Um. Uh, Detective Superintendent Mickey Banks he's a lot more switched on (laughs) (laughs) and he wasn't taking, him and his team just weren't taking Paul Britton's profile as like, yeah you need this guy but like no (laughs) Um, because and I think in all the interviews I've seen since, uh, all all the documentaries where Mickey Banks is interviewed he says he couldn't offer us anything. It was such a basic profile, yeah. which like we said, it is. it's very detailed, but it was so generic. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, 20 to 30 year old, lives on their own, lives near the murder, uh, lives near the crime scene, all these different things. It wasn't specific and it's not a science. Well, I'm sorry, I refer to, it's not an exact science. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, as we saw when uh, Mr. Justice Ognall threw out a Colin Stagg case, that you can't use a profile as identification. It's a guide at best. Yeah, it, it has to be yeah backed up I by mean, something. Yeah, they, they do have their uses. I'm not dismissing everything, like all criminal profiling, but... It's, In, it has to be one piece of the puzzle, yeah. not the entire picture. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they were making, and Mickey Banks and his team, they made all the links quite quickly. We like you, Mickey. Yeah. G- 
good on you, lad. So, he made the links between the green chain, green chain rapes and Samantha and Jasmine's deaths. So, they'd made that link and then they're like, hang on, we've got another murder just over a year ago. Hmm. Very similar. So, um, Detective Inspector Keith Pedder, who was leading the original inquiry into um, Rachel Nichols' murder. And Paul Britton visited Nicky Banks and his team. And so according to Keith Pedder, Paul Britton dismissed any connection between the two. So again, we've got the psychologist leading the police. Mm -hmm. The the police aren't making these conclusions, aren't coming to these conclusions by themselves. They're letting him lead. Yeah. Of course, he contests this, but kind of has to. <laughs> yeah. In later years, going, no, 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 I didn't do that. Yeah. So it's important to remember that by November, nineteen ninety three, when Samantha and Jasmine are killed, Colin Stagg's in custody. Mm. So they're originally killed him. They don't want to make this link because they'd have to admit that, you know, they'd been pursuing this man for 18 months and it would come to cost three million and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, all the rest of it. They'd have to admit they got it all wrong. Yeah. So they don't want, they don't want this link to be made. And yet we're not the only ones critical of the Nickel investigation team. Mickey Banks is very, very critical in <laughs> documentaries. Um, and interviews, uh, which I'm glad of, because yeah. they're, pub- they're public servants. They are funded by the taxpayer. They are accountable to the public. Yeah. So if they're not, if, if they're, they're not, not doing their job, their duty, then yeah. So despite all these similarities, uh, Nick Hill team are like, no, Colin Stagg's in custody. He's the right man. So I said earlier, we've got uh, Napa's fingerprints on file from one of his earlier convictions and they're matched to a bloody fingerprint found in Samantha's flat. Oh. So unlike the last team that found his fingerprint, they follow it up. So there was uh, quite a few delays in processing forensics. Um, And again, this is the early 90s. It's not as quick as it is now. Yeah. Uh, but in May of 1994, Robert Napper was finally charged with the murders of Samantha and Jasmine Bissett. Further DNA tests were then carried out, which also linked him to the green chain rapes. Imagine that. Oh. Follow-up testing. Such a novel idea. Truly. Yeah, and in October of 1995, Napper finally admits to killing Samantha and Jasmine uh, on the grounds of diminished responsibility. And he also confessed to one rape and two attempted rapes. But these are the only three that they have DNA evidence for. Mm. So he won't admit to any of the other green chain rapes because there's no DNA. Yeah. It's just that they have him on these three. So it's like, well, yeah, sure. Yeah, you got me. Um, and so he is widely accepted to be the green chain rapist, but he's only been convicted for three. Right. Um, for... One rape and uh, two attempted rapes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so diminished responsibility, that's like guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah. Okay. When you are found guilty on grounds of diminished responsibility, 
you're usually not sent to prison, you are sent to high secure psychiatric hospitals. And uh, Robert Knapper uh, was sentenced to be held indefinitely in Broadmoor Hospital, um, which is very well known. I've heard of it. The Yeah, the worst of the worst. Yeah. Yeah, and there's not many high security psychiatric hospitals around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have at one point been called uh, hospitals for the criminally insane. Uh-huh. But obviously changes in medicine and in the law yeah. have, have changed that. But yeah, Broadmoor is still not a place you want to be. No, doesn't sound like no. it. Yeah. Um, so he's in Broadmoor switching gears slightly. Uh, in July, 2006 Mm -hmm. detectives from Scotland Yard interviewed Napper, who's now 40 Mm -hmm. years old. I mean, that just shows how young he was when all this started. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, so they interview him about the murder of Rachel McKell for two days at Broadmoor. Uh, at this time, he'd been there for 11 years since pleading guilty to the murders of Samantha and Jasmine. And during this interview, Napper denied all involvement in Rachel's murder, but further developments in DNA since 2003 meant that the sample found on Rachel's clothes could finally be analyzed. Now, this kind of makes sense compared to the original investigation that was so focused on Colin Stagg, there's not a ton of information about out there about the investigation into Robert Napper by the cold case de- team. Yeah, I imagine they kept it pretty quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I could see why they might want to keep that on the on the down low. Yeah. Make sure we really get the right person this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do know uh, that on the 4th of Dece- December, 2007... Robert Knapper was charged with Rachel McKell's murder, uh, to which he pleaded not guilty. And a year later, on the 18th of December, 2008, Knapper finally pleaded guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Um, Mr. Justice Griffith Williams sentenced Knapper to be incarcerated indefinitely at Broadmoor because he was, quote, a very dangerous man. Which, yeah. clearly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what I was saying about because uh, he's such a danger to the public, he can't, you know, that's why these sentences are so open-ended. Yeah. Some are then transferred into the normal prison system. But, yeah, because he is so dangerous and so psychologically disturbed, yeah. for lack of a better that word. Sound. Um, yeah, that's why you get the held indefinitely These long open-ended sentences yeah. um following napper's conviction for rachel's murder the police protested that they did look at napper after his arrest but there was no forensic evidence linking him to the nickel scene at the time there wasn't any evidence linking colin stag either correct uh, and they were both identified from that photo fit yeah that's and they don't look alike actually <laughs> The police also admitted that the senior investigating officer in the Nickel case was aware of the similarities in the killings of Rachel and Samantha, but because they had Stag awaiting trial, he preferred to 
await the outcome of the legal proceedings before investigating Napper. And this shows what one legal source said, quote, what we see now is how far they were prepared to go. They would have seen Stag go down for life for a crime he didn't commit. Yeah. I mean, that is an admit admission that they were happy to fit up an innocent man. Even though they were aware that there could be another yeah. person. They, they were very aware of Robert Napper and yeah. very aware that Colin Stagg could be innocent and Robert Napper could have killed Rachel Nicole. But it took five, 16 years. That's... 16 years for them to actually finally admit that. It's fucked. Yeah. And of course, given the complete and utter fuck up that was this entire case there was quite a lot of compensation paid out oh we're getting to the Mm. the lawsuits yeah by both the metropolitan police and the home office so in 1998 at the age of only 33 uh the undercover pc uh, wpc lizzie james retired from the metropolitan police claiming that her career was over because of her undercover role in Operation Edzel. She sued the Met and was awarded £125,000 by Scotland Yard. Uh, Her solicitor said, The willingness of Metropolitan Police to pay substantial damages must indicate their recognition that she sustained serious psychiatric injury. And I can imagine, I can completely understand that. Because she's been told that this is a very violent, sadistic rapist and murderer and she's basically got to seduce him. Yeah, she's sending him love letters every week. Like, I can imagine that that would take a toll on her, especially when she's got to meet him. That must take... that. Well, obviously, it did take its toll on her. Yeah. After Robert Knapper was charged and pled guilty to Rachel's murder, Colin Stagg was given an official public apology from the Metropolitan Police and was awarded... 700,000 pounds in compensation from the home office for the wrongful arrest, attempted entrapment, and 13 months in jail on remand. Wow. Like, took you long enough, guys. Yeah. Yeah, only 16 years of him basically being vilified as the man that got away with murder. Yeah. And he's actually said in a later interview there's people that don't know that Robert Napper has been convicted. But because his case was so high profile, everyone knows who he is. Yeah. But what they don't know, because it wasn't as high profile, is that the case is finally closed. Napper is convicted. It's been proven by DNA. You know. So in some people's minds, he is still the man that got got away with murder. Oh, that just sucks. Yeah. Yeah, well, so there was a lot of controversy about the payout because, by contrast, um, Alex Hanscom was awarded just £22,000 by the Criminal Injuries Compensation Board for the loss of his mother. So that's Rachel's son. Yeah. Um, The Criminal Injuries Compensation Board, now called Criminal Injuries Compensation Authority, or CICA, is part of the government. Uh, the home office so both payouts all three if you consider that the police are also publicly funded came from the same source 
and it's all taxpayer money but mm. you know each one is such a, a vastly different amount yeah that's that's the thing and it's not like to say oh you suffered more than you and this that and the other but it's you can see why there's that controversy mm-hmm. following napa's conviction for rachel's murder the independent police complaints commission found in 2010 that Napa had been identified as a threat to women in the mid-1980s. This is actually even earlier than we thought. You know, you know, like we've been saying the whole show, his mum dropped him in in 1989. They this had that, you know. mid-80s. But it was even earlier that the police were aware of his, that he was a danger. Fuck. Yeah, that means that for nearly 10 years... He, the police knew who he was, knew he was a danger to the public, to women especially, and nobody gave a shit. Yeah, the Metropolitan Police, uh, following this uh, discovery, or this knowledge becoming public, I should say, said that it, uh, quote, regrets that Napa was able to carry out dreadful acts, unquote. And they regard that statement to be a public apology to the victims and their families. That is not an apology. That is nowhere near a fucking apology. That's like saying... That's like gaslighting. Yeah, it's like saying, I'm so sorry you feel that way. The Independent Police Complaints Commission, IPCC, required them to issue a public apology. But they stated they would not be reading out a statement of apology. The report also found that the murder of Samantha and Jasmine could have been prevented, which, mm-hmm. as we said, and I mean, uh, all right, let's say we're armchair detectives. We only have the information we can find on the internet, in documentaries, anything like that. We don't know the, in- the entire ins and outs, but we can argue that Rachel's murder could have been prevented and a lot of those rapes could have been prevented yeah. Colin Stagg's solicitor also said that he was com- considering pursuing his own complaint against the Met to ensure that the quote unquote professional negligence of the Met Police is never repeated and I think that is that would be a good thing Yeah. Um, I don't think that actually happened I couldn't find any record of it mm-hmm. uh, but yeah that still fair play the fact that nobody at any point stopped and thought, um, can is this is this legal? Not even is it moral? Is it legal? Yeah. To start with. You know, and then, hmm, can we really entrap someone into confessing that and then use a criminal profiler's opinion? That needs they need to make sure that never happens again. Yeah, for sure. Which leads us nicely <laughs> to your right section. In. Uh the psychologist who created the profile and also worked on the green chain rapes and the murder of Samantha and Jasmine Bissett, our good buddy, Paul, oh, yeah. uh, was charged with gross professional misconduct by the British Psychological Society, but the case was eventually dismissed due to passage of time. Are you fucking serious? Unfortunately, yes. <sighs> I mean... I mean, and I know that's that's a private, um, well, not private, but that's the body that's 
responsible for upholding standards in in that profession mm-hmm. but it's you know it's not a, a criminal case it's not even a civil case but still passage of time is flimsy yeah and i mean the reason that the uh the case was dismissed was because it took eight years to commence the hearing and britain's lawyer argued that his client couldn't get a fair hearing eight years after the event that's a very dangerous precedent it is because that's i mean obviously again not a criminal proceeding but that's like saying oh eight years after a murder you know i really just don't think we can try that yeah i mean they say it's not the same as like statute of limitations and everything yeah but professional misconduct can go undetected well undetected to like authorities yeah or unreported um, or yeah for years and years and years yeah just look at like all of the harvey weinstein yeah all that kind of stuff like so even if it's not a criminal or civil case it's still setting a very dangerous precedent that that happened a while ago, so we'll yeah, let whatever. you we'll let you off the hook with this. Don't do it again, especially for something that dovetails in with law enforcement. Yes, and not just that; just psychologists are working generally with very vulnerable people. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like you say, add that in with the law enforcement angle. It's just nah. The police claim they were being guided by Britain as to who to to look for Mm. and of course britain claims that he simply advised the police and they decided what to do with the information he gave them sure you did mate yeah however in his book the jigsaw man britain writes that quote it was a completely different scenario but again backtracks on this in later interviews about the case and in one interview says that the police told him what to think yeah, I don't understand that. So, no. you know, saying it was a completely different scenario that is in reference to um, Samantha and Jasmine's murders uh-huh. compared to Rachel's murder. But, yeah, how can a criminal profiler then say, oh, the police led me? Yeah. Well, then you weren't very good at your job, were you? Yeah, no. <laughs> the case did force police to rethink the use of profiling in their investigations and their reliance on it as you know a quote science Hmm. and for a number of years after the case police in britain didn't use profiling investigations and it still can't be used as evidence in court yeah i think it was actually the early 2000s when the next time that it was used um so significantly in a case that it was or given such significance Mm -hmm. should i say um obviously Lessons have been learned, which is a good thing. And yeah, because I think in America, you can actually have profilers testify in court, but you still can't do that here. Huh. Yeah, I think you can definitely have testimony, like expert testimony Mm. as a sort of like indication of their psychology or, you know, mental state. Yeah. There's a quote from the Guardian newspaper, which sort of sums up this whole mess uh and in the guardian they said like jack the ripper the killer who is his closest comparison it was as if he was invisible 
but today it's clear that his own long shadow is cast unseen for many years over three major police inquiries. And it was Colin Stagg, not Napper, who became notorious as a result of breathtaking incompetence, blinkered decision-making, and a wholesale failure to follow evidence that went as far back as 1989. Yeah. That, I think, is a very fair assessment yeah. of this case. Pretty much sums it up. Um, yeah, and then it said it's, it's Colin Stagg's become notorious and costs um, Napper's conviction wasn't as high profile as... Uh, Operation Edsel. There's so many people that still don't know yeah. that the case is actually closed and that Napper is convicted. And in all of this, Rachel and her family are lost. Yeah. And that I think is the saddest thing about the just all the failings on the point of the police. That's not to say that Colin Stagg didn't suffer and thing and Lizzie James and mm-hmm. that, but it stopped being about finding justice for Rachel and it just... It just turned into this circus of... Yeah, it was a circus of police ego. Yeah, basically. Um, and following Rachel's murder, the press pretty much camped outside her home in Balham and newspapers published full-colour photos of young Alex. So you've got a young mother murdered... Her son is the only witness and you want to post a full colour picture, you know, camp outside their house, give away where they live, Mm. give away exactly what he looks like. I mean, obviously the killer knows what he looks like, but still. And so Andre took the decision to move abroad and take Alex with him. And they effectively escaped from London. They didn't tell anyone. He made these plans and they upped and moved to France. Mm-hmm. Um, but the media still tracked him down. Of course. Yeah. Why Why not? Clearly should have gone further, but you know. You know oh, well, you only went to France so we can hop on a ferry. Just take the channel. What? The channel? The channel tunnel. Okay. <laughs> I've never heard anyone call it that before. It's the channel. No. It saves time. <laughs> the extra second it, say, it takes to say channel. Yeah. I like it. Um, and they've since moved to Spain. Alex is now 30. And over the last few years, he's actually begun to, begun to speak out about his mother's murder. And at the time, all the press said, oh, you know, if that's him ruined for life, he's going to be traumatized, blah, blah, blah. His, you know, his life is ruined. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, that's not the case. Um, and he says that he actually remembers everything about that day, clearly. And uh, in 2018, the Daily Mail, and I know I hate them, but it was the only report I could find, uh, reported that Alex had forgiven Robert Napper for murdering his mum, saying that if you don't forgive the person who called you ha- caused you harm, then you become that person in time. And that is incredible. Yeah, that's... That's amazing, and I'm so glad that he's he's managed to make something of his life. Yeah, very insightful. Yeah. And that 
is the case of Rachel Nicole. Very sad. Very complex. <laughs> Very just yeah. full of frustration. Yeah, for a bold attempt for our, for our first yeah, <laughs> ever no episode. <laughs> Holy hell. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Thank um, you for listening. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, come back next week when we talk about more gruesome crime. Yeah. Bye. Bye.